You're listening to sermons from Christ the Savior Orthodox Church. We're a small but growing mission of the Orthodox Church in America, currently meeting in Brewer, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for service, but until then, here's Father Scott with this week's sermon. sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think as Orthodox Christians, we should all be concerned with the spiritual life. That's what it's all about. Lawrence, you've started your spiritual path in earnest now. And uh, welcome to the struggle. But it is a struggle. And the Fathers, as well as the Scripture, teach that this struggle takes form. It's not just kind of something ethereal that we just kind of think about, oh yeah, uh, there's a spiritual life out there somewhere. But they direct us explicitly on a path. The path is called by some spiritual warfare. That's a good analogy. Because as in a war, we need to fight. And we need to put forth effort. And so it is that today, in our epistle, the Apostle Paul lays out one of the great directives of the Christian life. That we might be spiritual. That we might fight the good fight. He speaks of putting on and putting off. And this direction that he gives us today isn't super well fleshed out. It takes a lot of thought beyond what's just in the scripture to promulgate the doctrines and the teachings of how we struggle based on the scripture, based on God's revelation, and based on the lives of holy men. The church has developed a doctrine of asceticism. 
The idea is that we're in a war, that we fight, and that we train. The word of ceases means train or exercise, but exercise in the sense of direction towards something. And so the fathers have written profusely about that. How to struggle, how to be spiritual. We all want to be spiritual. How do we get to be spiritual? What's the, the plan, the pathway, if you want? And so I read today to start off our sermon a little bit from Father Dimitri Stanlow's summary of the modern approach, I guess you could say, taken from the fathers and distilled in language that we can understand on how to fight the spiritual life. And of course, he starts out this by speaking about the goal of our Orthodox Christian life, which is being spiritual. And he says this, he says, Orthodox spirituality aims at perfection. That's a word that is very clear to our American mindset. Perfect. God wants you to be perfect. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. How holy is God? Very holy. And God desires that we also be perfect. And so Father Stanilo, and I think it, I, I, I often sum up as a guy who takes Maximus the Confessor forward 1,400 years so that we can understand him and he distills him down a little bit. He says the Orthodox spirituality aims at the perfection of the faithful in Christ. This perfection can't be obtained in Christ except by participation in his divine human life. Therefore, the goal of Orthodox spirituality is the perfection of the believer by his union with Christ. You see, our perfection is not just for ourselves and being kind of in a vacuum. Our perfection is geared towards finding full communion with Christ. In this life, starting now, God wants us to be in communion with him. He longs for that communion as we spoke about last week. He desperately wants you to come to him and be in communion and fellowship with him. So Father continues, he says, he is being imprinted, Christ is, to an ever greater degree by the human image of Christ, full of God in every believer. So the fullness of God, living in Christ, brings us to a place, a great place indeed, of fellowship with God. So the goal of Orthodox Christian spirituality is the union between the believer and God and Christ. But as God is unending, the goal of our union with him or our perfection has no point from which we can no longer progress. In other words, long story short, the battle never stops. Even the great saints in their deathbed have lamented that they didn't do more. And so our struggle never ends. So all the Eastern Fathers say that perfection is unlimited. It just keeps going. That's where our understanding of perfection kind of breaks down. We think that perfection is kind of somehow static. The Orthodox Church teaches that perfection is progressive. And so it was that Adam placed in the garden was set there perfectly. Of course, we know he fell from that. But the goal is that his perfection would continue to progress unendingly and do greater and greater perfection. Our perfection or our union with God is therefore not only a goal, but an unending progress. On this road, two great steps can be distinguished. This is what we'll talk about in a minute in the scripture. First, the moving ahead towards perfection through purification from the passions and the acquiring of the virtues. 
This is what Paul is going to introduce to us in just a second as we look through our epistle today. If the goal of Christian spirituality, and we do have a goal, is a mystical life of union with God, that's our goal. We don't just do it so we can be good to be seen of men or, or feel good about ourselves or, or be somehow superior to our fellow man, but we do what we do in Christ. Our spiritual life is geared towards union with him. Then the path to it includes the ascent that leads to this peak. As such, this path is different than the peak, yet it is organically connected to it in the same way as the ascent of a mountain is to the peak. Only by prolonged effort, by discipline, can the state of perfection and mystical union with God be reached. This is the ascetic life. This is the ascetic life. Climbing the peak towards the fullness of God's presence, towards union with him in the kingdom of heaven, both now and in the life to come. It never ends. According to the current use of the word, asceticism has a negative connotation. It means a negative holding back, a negative restraint, or a negative effort. This is because the sinful tendencies of our nature, the habitual things that led us to death, have come to be considered as the positive side in our minds of life. And so what we thought was good, now we need to attack and put off. And so things take on a kind of negative. A don't do, if you will, is the commandments. Have these Ten Commandments here, the don't do's and the do-do's. The don't do's are putting off that old man. These sinful tendencies need to be put off. So ascetic striving, though negative in appearance, confronts the negative element in human nature with the intent to eliminate it by a permanent opposition. Congratulations, soldier. You've picked up your sword. You begin to fight the never-ending battle. But in reality, Father continues, asceticism has a positive purpose. It seeks the fortification of our nature and its liberation from the worms of sin that gnaw at it and hasten its ruin. In place of the passions, asceticism plants the virtues. This is the putting on that Paul speaks about, which presupposes a truly strengthened nature. The ultimate goal of asceticism is to free our nature not only from the movements of sinful appetites, but also from the ideas that appear in the mind after cleansing from the passions. This is the only gain of its independence from creating things which are the slavers, which we make, we put behind us, and then we long for God. And so it is that you see that asceticism is linked to this passage. You see, the fathers didn't just create stuff in a vacuum and oppose the scripture. They take the scripture and they, by God's revelation and grace to them, they develop it. And so it is today that Paul writes to us this great passage. It's replicated in other places by Paul in the epistles also, so we can see this repeated several times, this idea of ascetic life as being a putting off of the old man and a putting on of the new. He starts by saying that when Christ, who was our life, shall appear, we'll also appear with him in glory. He puts before us this great goal, this goal of our life, which is to be fully in union with Christ, but even beyond what we can experience in this life in the fullness of his glory when we pass out of this life. This is our goal. Christ being our life means that he gave us life. We were dead. We couldn't raise ourselves up from that mire of sin that we were in that entangled us in these passions. But Christ gave us life. He comes to us and gives us grace. He gave you grace in your chrismation. He gave you grace in your baptism. He gives you day-by-day grace, and he will give you grace. 
He's going to someday pour upon you great grace if you stay on this path. Who appears in glory, right? But this is our promise. This is our goal. Without him, we can do nothing. Yes, but we need to do something. And we have a goal in front of us, this path that Father Dimitri talked about. This mountain, if you will, that we ascend to be with Christ, who is our life, now and forever. And so he starts off with specifying what we're fighting. He says, mortify your members. This is your body. And your body, how it rebels and soaks up everything in this world and wants to just kind of revel in it with no place for God. He says, mortify your members which are upon the earth. And he lists some sins. Note the kind of classification of these sins, how they, they are sins of the flesh. Fornication, self-explanatory. It's prostitution. It's also any kind of sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. Some of our presidents have had trouble figuring out what that meant. Sin and fornication is a serious sin. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which means desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What Paul is saying to us clearly is that if we have in mind this goal, then we have to be involved. The word is synergy. In a ceaseless, there's synergy. God is working. God gives us grace. Without him, we do nothing. We don't even start the journey without God. But we need to be involved in this struggle. We need to participate. And so he says, mortify. You, mortify. You, you kill. You be involved in dampening the passions. For these things will, will if allowed to flourish, will blot out any spiritual life and any communion with God. They'll short-circuit your trip up the mountain. And he says, for which sake things... These things say the wrath of God comes in the children of disobedience. I often reflect upon this when I'm tempted to sin or when I do sin. You know, the, the sentence upon sin, in a temporal sense certainly, is the same. Where you know about God, or if you don't. And so the children of disobedience, which we were formerly numbered among, do something and they reason. As a Christian, when you turn your back on God and you sin, you still have yourself facing the same thing that the unbeliever will. If you become addicted to drugs, you will suffer the same thing. In disobedience or supposedly in Christ. And so he says, be careful. Don't be ensnared. You need to kill these sins. You walked in these things at some time, he said. But now, make no mistake, these past sins will seek to envelop you again. The devil is alive and well. Upon your chrismation, upon your baptism, he fights both before, the week before, the two weeks before, two, three weeks afterwards, and then on for the rest of your life. He's fighting to pull you down from that ascent. You've seen the icon of the ladder, the divine ascent. And guys near the top are being pulled off just like they are at the beginning. And so the devil says, I'm going to get you. But God says, you mortify. And you get involved in this process of coming into full communion with me the way I designed I start the path, but you need to be involved in it also. And so God says it. If we've tasted the riches of his grace through baptism, if we've tasted the riches of his grace through the daily Christian life, if we're tasting it right now, then we need to mortify. And he says, I like the way he puts it so clearly. He says, now, also, put off these. See, the ascetic life, as the Father said, was a putting off and it's putting on. Two things. Both are important. But I think there is an order. 
And the order is that you start by putting off. You've got to clean up first to make room. And so he says, first, put off these. Wrath, anger, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Can I say something here? Forgive me. But how often I hear the name of God used in vain among Christian people is scary. Maybe I'm just too sensitive, but I think not. God's name is holy. If you say O-M-G and you don't have that referring to a prayer, I believe, and I believe God is with me in this, that you're taking his name in vain. Be very careful about your lips. The society around us throws God's name around all the time. There's a furniture place in town that calls itself, has, a, has its a slogan, Oh my bombs. Make you lighter. Even I laugh at that too. But it shows you how deeply pervasive the use of God's name is in a bad way. And so, we need to put off this filthy communication. Don't sling off words off out of your tongue that defile you. We need to put off all these, he says, seeing that God wants us to be clean and be in union with him. The vessel needs to be clean. And so we need to put off these things as we ascend. And then when he says, you need to put on the new man. This is the virtuous man. When the house gets swept out, the house just can't stay empty. The house has to be filled again. So we put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And he continues in that passage beyond what we will deal with today in speaking about the virtues that God would have us put on. We can't only just put off we got to fill ourselves with good and godly activities and thoughts if we're going to ascend the mountain. Or we'll find ourselves in a worse situation. A cleaned vessel cleaned up for the seven demons that come in seven times more painfully beset by sin than we were when we started. We need to put on the virtues by an active Christian life. Go to services. Pray. Read scripture. Give alms. Fasting. Deny yourself, yes. But also, put on the good of God. Seek the virtues, patience, love, meekness, joy, long-suffering. That's where the Holy Spirit will descend upon you. See, the ascetic life involves both effort in putting off and putting on. It doesn't happen by happenstance. Putting off takes work. If any of you have engaged at all in trying to fight your sins, and I think you all have, then we realize that putting off our sins and, and leaving them behind is, is just dreadfully difficult. It's the same kind of work that's required to put on the new man. To be loving, to be patient, to give alms, to see the need of your brother and then to meet it. Don't be like him that says, I'll pray for you, but gives him not the things that he needs, as the, as the Apostle James writes. Putting on is also work, and so God wants us to be involved in it. He closes this brief passage saying there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, wherever Christ is working in a human heart, it doesn't matter whether that human is sitting on a throne or they're in a garden. The same reward lies before them all. The same banquet table, the same glory of God being shared awaits every single human that's involved in the struggle, this ascetic labor. But make no mistake, 
We need to do these things. We need to be involved. Our salvation is granted by God. It's truly a gift. But our response to it is crucial. We need to strive to put off the old man and make it a priority in our life to be involved in this ascetic struggle. The putting off, yes, and the putting on. But I think there's something very crucial as we close we need to remember. We need to always remember that none of our warfare is in our own strength. Remember, he starts this passage by saying that Christ, he's our life. He's always there. And we triumph only by the grace of God. Every day, he gives us grace when we're baptized. Yes, special grace. He gives us grace when we're chrismated, when we're married, when we partake of all the mysteries of the church. When we read scripture, he gives us grace day by day. He's always given us grace. And so, let us draw near to God and purify ourselves, yes. But always remember that the ascetic struggle to put off the old man started with God and it ends with God. And God will be with us as we pursue the struggle of the ascetic Orthodox Christian spiritual life to ascend and never look back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can listen to more sermons and learn more about us by visiting our website at orthodoxmaine.org. Thank you for listening, and until next time, God be with you.